0: Well, hello, and welcome to this week's a Photographic Life. I suppose it, it's the number that uh, made some kind of uh, connection with me this week. We're up to episode 101, reminding me of Room 101, a place introduced in the novel 1984 by George Orwell. Room 101 is a torture chamber in the Ministry of Love, in which the party attempts to subject a prisoner to his or her own worst nightmare, fear or phobia. It was named after a conference room at the BBC where Orwell, when he worked there, would have to sit through torturously boring meetings. I don't know why, but for some reason that made some kind of a connection to me. I suppose the great phobia of the photographer is not having anything to photograph or not being able to photograph. And so with us all on lockdown, or I presume most of us listening to this um, podcast, this episode uh, in some form of uh, lockdown or confinement or isolation, then maybe that makes some kind of sense But it also reminded me of something else. It reminded me of the photographic work of the Czechoslovakian photographer Jan Sudek and his photographs of Prague taken whilst under Nazi occupation during the Second World War, where his images focused on that idea of the outside and the inside. He was obviously on the inside, photographing the outside and he did so by just fo- photographing by focusing on the window if you're not aware of his work it's really truly beautiful and um, I suppose in some ways unsettling um, but maybe appropriate for these unsettling times also remind me of another body of work a uh, Eugene Smith photograph uh, through a New York window Uh, Eugene was, in in himself, under a a sort of his own form of occupation, an occupation of the mind, uh, suffering from personal demons, to the extent that he'd painted the window black so that he couldn't look out. And slowly but surely, as he scratched away at the black, he started to photograph through that black and photograph the world that was occurring outside of his apartment, but also outside of his own mental turmoil. Two bodies of work there that seem to have real relevance to me and relevance to the place that we're in to ensure that uh, wherever we are, and I'm obviously in the shed. Um, just a little sideline to that, actually. Uh, my wife is also um, taking over the shed at the moment. She's working from home. And so um, I've managed to get back into my own shed it's uh, it's been taken over, but anyway, um, back to that work. Um, very often, uh, very rarely do I speak about uh, photography in that sense, but it seems like this is a really good time to just think about what was done before, um, to look at work that maybe we're not aware of, and photographers who've dealt with these kinds of situations previously in uh, in a really creative uh, fashion just before the isolation uh, took place uh, here in the UK, I managed to um, pick up a whole load of photo books, nearly 11 boxes full of brand new photo books, um, very kindly given to me to go through and to make some decisions as to where they go into which libraries and so forth. Um, And these books had been submitted to an international photographic book competition and um, I started to work my way through them some of the books I already owned and some of the work I was already aware of but obviously you can't be aware of everything all of the time so a lot of the work came to me in a a new way I was was completely fresh to it what was interesting to me in looking at this vast amount of books all of which published in one year all of which published in 2019 um was that i started to actually make three piles of books one pile of books were the books that i considered to be really important and actually those books are going to go into the uh, oxford brooks university library where i teach uh, to help the students and give them reference points so you know if you are running a competition out there for photo books and you don't know what to do with them give them to a local university, college, or school. Tom Oldham um, had a fantastic initiative about doing this uh, last year. So um, the second pile of books were the books that I felt would be useful for me to hold on to as teaching aids and to kind of make available to the students through lectures. So rather than putting them just on the library shelf and hoping they were going to find them, these were books that I was going to actually fill I thought they were important and I'm going to show them to the students and use them as teaching aids. So far, so good. The third pile of books, which is roughly, I suppose, two large boxfuls of roughly just over 150 books I had in total. That third box is the box of what I'm now starting to think of as the box of confusion. A lot of the books in that box are beautifully uh, printed. Um, There's a huge amount of design work gone into them. There's lots of, obviously, photography. There's lots of variety in the ways in which they're being shown. But why I'm referring to them as a box of confusion is because I've got a feeling that some people have lost kind of understanding of what a photo book is and, and what its purpose is. The Box of Confusion is full of books uh, which deal with very personal, um, I suppose, responses to the medium. In some ways, I suppose, they could most easily be described as contemporary art books, outside even of contemporary art photography books. The problem for me with these books is that I couldn't work them out. For me, the photography within them was not strong enough or did not have a strong enough visual language or voice to actually make a point the bringing together of the work it didn't seem to have any form of narrative or really conceptual understanding too often the work i found uh, alienating uh difficult to uh in any way i suppose find a way into and i don't think that's the point of a book i'm all up for being challenged i love music i don't understand i love being challenged by all sorts of different things the problem with this work is i just didn't find it challenging i found it confusing and boring and i think that that's that's a really difficult kind of a A point there to kind of span that difference between work that's being created that the artist understands. And because they find it interesting, they think everyone else is going to. But what they forget to do is explain why or create work that's actually going to engage. So that for me was the box of confusion. And I'm really a bit lost, to be honest, as to what to do with that box. Because It's not really work that's valid to take up uh, expensive and and limited space in a university library. It's also not work I can really give to the local charity shop because I don't think they're going to know what to do do with it either. So there's been a lot of print done. There's been a lot of money spent. There's been a lot of time spent to produce these books. But at the end of the day... I don't really think that anybody thought about why they should exist. I don't know if you can hear in the background, but the chickens next door have uh, decided to get a little bit noisier than they usually are. But never mind, we shall move on. This week, welcoming to the podcast to tell us what photography means to him, we welcome Andrew Jackson. Andrew's an artist based in the UK who uses photography to explore the challenges of selfhood, representation and narration. His works focus on transnational migration, belonging, displacement and memory. Jackson's images demonstrate how photography can challenge, reshape, revise and disseminate history, as well as disrupt assumptions in discreet, intimate and personal ways. In 2018, He was shortlisted for the Elliot Erwitt Fellowship and the Magnum Foundation Social Justice Fellowship. He's an award-winning recipient of the Autograph ABP Light Work International Photography Residency in Syracuse, uh, New York and a graduate of the MA Documentary Photography Program at Newport in Wales. His work is held in both international and national collections of photography such as the United uh, Kingdom Government Art Collection, The Garmin Ryan Collection, Lightwork Collection at Sarasota University, Rugby Museum and Art Gallery and a range of private collections. He co-founded and was co-director of Some Cities CIC, a uh, community-oriented participatory photography company in the UK between 2013 and 2018. His selected clients include The Guardian, The Weekender, FT Magazine, Stern, BuzzFeed, Telegraph, Independent, and The Independent on Saturday.
1: I remember waking up one morning as a small child and hearing the sound of my mum crying. I opened my bedroom door and walked gingerly out onto the landing, standing under the top of the stairs and just looking down at her perched there in the bottom of the step, sobbing. After a while, she stood silently and walked away, wiping her face, leaving a pale blue envelope left there behind her. I eased my way down the steps and lifted it up trying to make sense of the flamboyant handwriting on the front of it and easing out a Polaroid photograph of a white headstone in a tatty cemetery. It turned out that my mum's brother Marty back in Jamaica had died and her stepmother had only then informed her of his death after his burial. I remember being awed by the power that this small piece of paper had over my mum. My Jamaican parents were superheroes in my eyes, but my mom was this strong, powerful figure who we all turned to, we all looked up to, my dad included, and yet this one small photograph had reduced it to tears. I guess from that moment, I was truly hooked by photography, intrigued by it, intrigued by the power that it had over people. But for me, photography is an ongoing attempt, I guess, to struggle with that power those power relationships and I guess struggle at times not to conform to the conservative tropes and dogmas within the medium that more often than not seek to maintain and promote status quo and yes those ongoing structures of power rather than ever truly challenge or disavow them I come from a documentary photography background and if we consider for a moment all of the images taken of the last century what really has changed in terms of who is usually being looked at and who is doing the looking. How has the approach and choice of subject matters changed either for that matter? But I guess that's for another podcast entirely. All of this though, this attempt not to conform, is easier, it's obviously easier said than done, of course. Especially if you have ever gone to an art school and been socialized to accept what is meant to be good photography and what is bad photography. Even if at times a bad is only referenced by its omission from overly Eurocentric Historical photographic timelines. So, yes, photography for me is a realization that I'm attempting to, that what I'm attempting to do is to find new pathways of representation, include new narratives within an overly conservative medium that at times is seemingly only concerned in affirming known knowledge about the world and the people who inhabit it, rather than ever challenge that known knowledge. I guess we all need to consider that. Whenever we point our cameras at people, what we're doing is that we're engaging in political acts. We can either choose to to depict people in terms of how we have been told to see them, to wrap them up in cliches or stereotypes which only maintain structural power systems. Yes, those power systems again. Or we can treat them as as the individuals that they are and who we have encountered at that moment in time. Using the photograph as a conduit of, of human engagement between them us and the audience within an interchange where hopefully something is gained and shared from rather than taken or imposed i used to delude myself into thinking that this was implicit within photography and that it was indeed a universal language one that transcended language barriers and regardless of race gender cultural backgrounds etc one that everyone could read understand and recognise themselves within, in the same ways. Obviously, this was a spurious assumption, because I often see the ways in which black and brown people are represented within photography, and rarely ever do I see myself reflected in the ways in which I know myself to exist. If you asked a black African photographer, who had never been exposed to the canons of Western photography, to document his or her community, they would produce a totally different set of images of their black experience, and people around them in their community than a western photographer parachuting in who had been exposed to it especially if they had been hardwired by 400 years of colonial programming that it shaped their perceptions of how black africans are seen to exist the chances are that within their photographs you wouldn't see images of normality or of the commonplace domestic african existence but i suppose those images don't sell papers and they don't win awards. The sad irony is, though, that photography truly could be that universal language, that language which links us all together, but only if the industry is willing to include and accept a truly more reflective, diverse, and dynamic range of pluralistic voices. To conclude, and I guess most importantly, what photography means to me is that it gives me the opportunity to leave a trace behind me. One that charts the marks that life has made upon me, my brief times on this small green and blue globe. And, uh, and while I'm not sure how many people ever see my photographs or what those marks ever were, or even know that I was here, of course, while I am here, I will continue taking photographs and trying to make sense of my world around me. That's what photography means to me.
0: Thank you, Andrew, for I think what was perhaps maybe one of the most important contributions we've had, certainly right up there with some of the best. Not really much, I feel like, I want to reflect on there. I'd like you to reflect on that, if you wish, of course. Um, This isn't a totalitarian state, but Andrew raised so many important points. One thing I do want to just say at this point, though, also is that I really thank Andrew for um, contributing this week because I have asked a large number of photographers of colour um, from different places around the globe uh, to contribute to the podcast. And sadly, many of either ignored my email or, um, in fact, most of them have, have ignored my email. So, you know, this really is a platform for all photographers of all backgrounds, um, social, economic and colour, to come forward and put their opinions forward. So I really hope that will be featuring more photographers of colour and from different places around the world uh, as the uh, podcast moves towards its 200th um, episode uh, next year. Anyway, also the other quick thing I just wanted to add there was um, that idea of the good and the bad uh, photograph. Anybody who's ever had me as one of their lecturers or teachers will know these are two words I will never, ever use. I will use the phrase successful or unsuccessful and that will be based on context which is set by the photographer but never will i use the words good or bad anyway and that pretty much um, wraps up i think for this week's podcast Um, i hope you're all okay i hope that you are taking care of yourselves i end every podcast with with those words to take care that suggestion and have been doing so for the last year now, it seems to have even more relevance, and I think the context of those words have changed. Previously, I was talking purely, I think, from a photographic and a kind of a, a mindfulness, well-being sense. Now, I'm also taught taking uh, that a little stage further, I suppose, and suggesting that it's also from an economic and also from a physical um, sense of physical health. Anyway, um Next week, I'll still be in the shed. I hope you join me um, as we continue our journey into our photographic lives. And don't forget, take care.